Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. We have two readings. Our first one comes from Psalm 119, and it's verses 73 to 88. I'll just give you a moment now to click there. Now I'm reading from the New International Version. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes. May I wholeheartedly follow your decrees that I may not be put to shame. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pits to trap me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your unfailing love, preserve my life that I may obey the statutes of your mouth. Our second reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll just be reading two verses, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you this morning. Uh, there's a few of us gathered here in the room um, and obviously a bunch of us hopefully gathered online. It's really nice to see you this morning. Uh, I'm Simon uh, Jacko, affectionately known around here, lead pastor of City Light Church in North Adelaide. And welcome to um, our online church. Our first time we've actually ever live streamed a gathering in this way uh, as our primary way of communicating the gospel today. So it's uh, good to be here on, a, on this sort of day. Um, we're doing it this way uh, just really quickly uh, because the capacity that we have here at the Estonian Centre means that um, we're down to 25% capacity. Um, we couldn't probably squeeze everyone in and as a result uh, we thought it's good for us all to kind of be in the same boat more or less, um, worshipping the same way rather than having some here, some elsewhere. So we just decided this week to do it this way and uh, we hope that it's a blessing to you and us all as we seek to live for Jesus. Um, do keep your Bible open uh, to Timothy chapter 3. That would be a good thing to do as we continue on in our series, uh, Foundations, How to Build a Faith That Lasts. Uh, last week, Mikey opened the word for us online and as we looked at singing, that's uh, all about Jesus when we gather together and worship um, and that singing is wonderful how it unites us together in the things that we believe. Uh, today we're thinking about the Bible uh, and the place of the Bible in building a faith that lasts. So let me encourage you to keep those Bibles open in front of you. 
I don't know if you know this, but the, uh, the Bible is the biggest selling book every year since records have been kept. Um, apart from one year, 2007, when Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows outsold it. Um, in that year, 2007, J.K. Rowling sold 40 million copies of that book. But the Bible consistently outsells all books every year. We're selling about 30 million copies around the world. And, um, and it's climbing, actually. No other book can claim that. The question is, why? Uh, why does the Bible have this kind of magnetic force attracting people to it? Uh, Skeptics out there say it's because the church imposes this on the world or the church imposes this on their adherents. Um, That's why the the sales are so big. I also wonder if it's Kurong, you know, who just sends out in my mailbox every other week a whole catalogue of new Bibles that I can buy. And I'm not really going to blame them. Um, That may count for some. But what's really interesting, right? You know, the claim that the church imposes it on the world, that's why we sell so many. I think it's an interesting claim because about one third of the annual sales of Bibles are going to China, uh, where the Bible is far from imposed on the population. I think there's something deeper going on. I believe the Bible tells a story from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation that is a story that is beautiful, compelling, and truthful. And it's a story that I think we all long for it to be true. It's a story that quenches our deepest thirst for meaning, belonging, and significance. So it's the story of the Bible and this story that we're going to think about today. We're going to think about the Bible. So as we do, uh, let's pray together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that as we look upon your word, about your word, Father, would you teach us? And Father, would you ultimately, by your Spirit, help us to see Jesus, help us to hear Jesus, and help us to know and love him more dearly this day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've recently become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, or maybe you've recently come back to church, or maybe this is your first time back at church online for a long time, or maybe you've been a Christian for some time, you'll no doubt be aware that Christians think the Bible is really important. At City Light Church North Adelaide, we think the Bible is really important. Now we get that it's important, but do Christians need to be so obsessed with it, so obsessed with the Bible? Well, the answer to that depends on knowing what the Bible is, why we need the Bible, how the Bible works, and what it does. Those four questions, what is the Bible, why we need it, how it works, and what it does, they will be the four questions we're going to explore today. They'll frame today's message. It's amazing, actually, how it's so easily forgotten that the Bible actually is the foundation of everything that Christians believe. Take it away, and what we can confidently know about God amounts to this. One, creation around us tells us that God is breathtakingly powerful, And on the other, our conscience within us tells us that we've seriously offended him. God is incredibly powerful and we've offended him. That combination is not good news. If we want to know more about God, who he is, what he thinks, how we can relate to him, then we need the Bible to tell us. This is the source of our knowledge about him. This is where he speaks to us and most of all, this is where we come into, enter into a living relationship with the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So firstly, the most basic question, what is it? Like, what is the Bible? 
The most basic question of all to ask is, is this, what is it? What are we holding in our hands when we hold the Bible? You may know that the Bible is a collection of 66 books written by about 40 authors over hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, The books that make up the Bible reflect the personalities and the styles of their authors, the cultures in which they lived and the reasons they were writing. There are different kinds of literature in the Bible. There's history, poetry, law, prophecy, wisdom literature, apocalyptic letters and, and others. Now when these texts, these books of the Bible were written, their human authors exercised the same creative process of research and thought and composition that you would expect of any writing. And they consciously set out to write something that was compelling and even truthful. Um, you know, just like J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, she, wrote, she set out to write something that was creative and compelling. That's why it sold 40 million copies in 2007. When you come to the Bible, right, Luke, for example, the author of one of the Gospels, he begins his Gospel by assuring us that he's carefully investigated all the facts in order to set down an orderly account so that we have certainty that what we believe is true. Luke 1, verses 1 through to 4. So when we claim, as we do here at City Light Church North Adelaide, that the Bible is the word of God, we're not suggesting that its authors were kind of sent into some kind of trance or became mindless robots dictated to by God. They were fully involved in the process of writing. Nevertheless, one of the most startling features of the Bible is that the more you come to know it, the more you read it, you realise that despite all the different authors and styles and genres and cultures, this is one single book. Runs over a thousand pages. In my edition here, it's 1,106 pages long. But in the most astonishing way, all the different parts kind of dovetail together to make one big, magnificent story. From Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end, the Bible is one big story. The reason for this biblical consistency and unity is that, in one sense, the Bible is one single book written by one single author. Paul insists that all scripture is God Breathed, breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16, which is an amazing claim. The Bible's not just inspired in the normal sense of being a great work. The Bible is not just inspiring in the sense that it moves people. It is expired, which means breathed out by God himself. There's an Old Testament scholar and commentator named Dale Ralph Davis who uses a great expression to describe what this kind of means. He says, and I quote, every time one deals with the word of God, one is dealing with the God whose word it is. The word of God is not some extraneous object out there for us to squeeze to our liking. Rather, it is always warm with the breath of God's own mouth. This is why the Bible is so special to Christians, so special to us here at City Light Church North Adelaide. It comes to us direct from the living God. And if we want to get anywhere in the Christian life, there's nothing more important than grasping this. We need to understand that when, even when Moses and David and Ezekiel and Luke and Paul and all the other Bible writers researched, investigated and thought and wrote, they understood that God was speaking through them. 
Although he wasn't controlling them like puppets, he was guiding them by the Holy Spirit in all that they did so that what they wrote were the very words of God. The Apostle Peter, in a really important New Testament passage, draws this conclusion, 2 Peter 1 verse 20, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is an astonishing claim. Men spoke from God. And if that's not true, then we have no foundation for our faith. If it is, then this book must have pride of place in our hearts and our lives because it's uniquely significant and authoritative. You know, ultimately, we have to ask the question, right, is the Bible just a collection of human beings' loftiest thinking straining from earth to heaven? Or is this God revealing himself from heaven to earth? On the first view, right, it, this would just be a neat historical artifact that should gather dust on the shelves in our homes. On the second, what we're holding in our hands, the copy of the Bible, are the very words of the living God, speaking with absolute authority and truthfulness. This is a rock solid foundation for faith. Now there are many reasons to accept the scriptures as truthful. We haven't got time to go into them today, but here's just one. Here's a key reason why the Bible is significant and authoritative. Here's the reason, it's because Jesus thought it was. Jesus had the Old Testament and the Gospels make it clear that as far as he concerned, it is written was the end of the matter. Whatever the Bible said, God said, so whatever the Bible said, Jesus affirmed. In this modern age, right, in particular, there's emerged a phenomenon of the person who claims to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and yet shows very little interest in the Bible. It's self-defeating, since only through the Bible do we know anything of substance about the person and work of the Lord Jesus. It's also contradictory, right, since Jesus himself affirmed that Scripture cannot be broken. In reality, if we want to call ourselves disciples of Christ, We need to accept Jesus' view of the Bible. So to the question, right, what is the Bible? We must answer that it is the living word of God. That means that it speaks into our lives with supreme authority. Um, Ray Galea, he's a pastor of uh, a church in the western suburbs of Sydney called um, MBM, Multicultural Bible Ministry or Church. Um, He planted that 30 odd years ago with a handful of people. It's now grown into this amazing church of multicultural groups meeting all over the place. It's wonderful. Um, But he has a nice way of bringing across this implication of the Bible being the living word of God and it's speaking with truthfulness and authority into our lives. Um, He says this, I quote, When I first began to read the Bible, with an open mind as a young adult, I discovered that God and Ray Galea thought very differently on a lot of issues. One of us would have to change. Given who God is and who we are, we should expect God's word to confront, surprise and challenge us in all kinds of ways. The key thing is to approach it with the right attitude, which is one of humble submission. The best advice I can give you about the Bible is this. Settle in your mind right now that however much it confronts or shocks or surprises or unsettles or puzzles you or even irritates you, 
everything in the Bible is true and good. This is what Jesus believed. And to be a disciple is to learn from him. Why do we need the Bible? What is the Bible? It's the living word of God. So secondly then, why do we need it? Why do we need the Bible? Maybe you're convinced that the Bible is something really special, but why is it quite so important to have this book as part of your life? It's central in your life. Why is it so central to the life of City Light Church, North Adelaide? Well, we've seen that we can only know about God and his gospel with confidence if he's revealed himself to us. But we push it further because the Christian message is not just to be received and believed, it's to be lived. When we encounter God, we realise that one of us is going to have to change and it's not him. Our faith is intended to transform us and Paul explores the implications of this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4 in the following. Paul reminds Timothy uh, back in the first century um, that as a Christian and as a young church leader, he's going to have to swim against the prevailing kind of current and tide of culture. He's living in ungodly times, living among ungodly people, leading a really messy church. Timothy is to be competent and equipped for every good work. The Apostle Paul's answer to why do we need the Bible it's partly answered there in chapter two, 2 Timothy 3, verse 17. Why would Paul, what would Paul say to that, yeah, to that question, answer that question? So that the servant of God, Timothy, and I want to say by extension all believers, may be a thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why do we need the Bible? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. To translate that kind of literally, you would have to say something like, we are to be made completely complete for every good work. You see, God doesn't intend to make us, you know, partly complete for the occasional good work, but completely complete for every good work. That's a high calling, and it can only happen as the word of God is allowed to do its work in our lives. In other words, the reason why we need the Bible so much is because the Bible equips us to live the Christian life. As we feed regularly on God's word, we grow in faith from infancy to maturity. Feed on a steady diet of God's word and you will grow in faith. Deprive yourself of God's word and your faith will inevitably kind of weaken and wither. And this is a basic principle that's been borne out in the experience of millions and millions and millions and millions of Christians throughout the ages. You will know God as a living presence in your life and you will be renewed and transformed by him to the extent that you spend time with him regularly in this word. That's why we need the Bible. What is the Bible? The living word of God. Why do we need the Bible? To equip us to live the Christian life, to live for Jesus. Thirdly then, how does it work? How does the Bible work? How does the Bible, the word of God, this book, make a difference in our lives. I don't know, many have assumed that the Bible, this book is a book of rules that are to be kept and full of, I don't know, examples of lives that we are to follow and emulate. Actually, this was my view of the Bible um, before I came to know the grace of God. Book full of rules and a few people that are worth following. On this kind of view or my view, it works by the Bible showing us what to do, showing us what not to do, and then saying, okay, get on with it. 
The trouble with that is it's desperately disappointing and frustrating because we don't have the power to get on with it. We're dead in our sins. What we need is the power and the presence of God in our lives in order to transform us. We need God himself and the Bible gives him to us. Here, God speaks, making a living relationship with him possible. And that gives rise to a really crucially important principle, brothers and sisters. The main way the Bible equips us for every good work is not by telling us what to do for God, but by telling us what God has done for us. Let me say that again. The main way the Bible equips us for every good work is not by telling us what we are to do for God, but by telling us what God has, by telling us what God has done for us. The Bible doesn't give us good advice. The, God, the Bible gives us good news. And there's a world of difference between the two. The whole Bible, right, is one big story about how God, what God has done to redeem a people for himself for eternity. That means the Bible is all about Christ, all about Jesus, the promise that Jesus would come, the preparation for his arrival, the event of himself coming, and then everything that flows from that. Old Testament and New, every page is about Jesus. That was Jesus' own understanding, by the way. So on that first Easter Sunday, Good Friday, Jesus lays down his life for the sins of the world, past, present and future, that anyone who trusts in him will be forgiven on Friday. On Easter Sunday, Jesus rises triumphantly from the grave, crushing death, defeating sin. And as Jesus walked along the Emmaus Road, he came across a despondent, disappointed and downcast Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas, who thought all their hopes had been dashed. And yet Jesus says this, Luke 24, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? After beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Bible is all about Jesus. I said before, right? Every page, Old Testament and New, page, New, is all about Jesus. Sometimes that's hard to see, but the whole Bible is all about Jesus. Uh, there's an Anglican bishop. His name's Christopher Chavas. And he once suggested that uh, the whole Bible is like a portrait of Christ. So the four Gospels paint in the, main, in the main figure in the foreground, right? Here we see Christ most clearly in focus. Uh, the Old Testament is the, is the background of the painting, leading towards and drawing our attention and focus on the, the, the central figure. And then the letters of the New Testament are the clothing on that figure, which explain and describe him. He says this, And then, while by, while by our Bible reading we study the portrait as a great whole, the miracle happens. The figure comes to life. And stepping from the canvas of the written word, the everlasting Christ of the Emmaus story becomes himself our Bible teacher to interpret to us all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Bible points us to Christ. And by showing us his greatness and his excellence, by showing us his glory and his love, it exposes everything else we might choose to live for as, as worthless and the folly that it really is. Instead, 
as we read the Bible, as Christ expands in our vision and as our hearts are captivated by him, we are made increasingly complete and ready for every good work. As we walk with him closely, his character begins to shape ours. As we spend time with him every day, he begins to have a daily impact on us. And over time, as the Bible works in us, we see Jesus more clearly, we love Jesus more deeply, and we resemble him more closely. And so fourthly, what should we expect to be happening in that process? What does it do? What does the Bible do in our lives? Well, Paul sets that out for us a bit, in a bit of detail in that famous 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the first place, the Bible is God's normal vehicle for bringing saving faith, for rescuing sinners, for bringing people from death to life. And Paul says this really clearly uh, in 2 Timothy 3 verse 15. He says, the scriptures are able or better, powerful, to make you wise for salvation. Therefore, what the unbeliever needs more than anything is to read the Bible and encounter Jesus there by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what, if you're listening today, that the best way for you to meet Jesus, to hear Jesus, to see Jesus, and by God's grace ultimately come to love Jesus is by reading the word. Paul makes it really clear, Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Where do we find the life-giving word of Christ? In the scriptures, in the Bible. God speaks through his word to bring life to the spiritually dead. And this is my testimony. I grew up in a Catholic family uh, when I got to about the age of 13, I finally got the leave pass, didn't have to go to church anymore, and I thought I was fully alive. I got to do whatever I wanted to do on a Sunday morning. It changed my life. Uh, for years and years and years, I wanted nothing, nothing to do with the church at all. Uh, I took up triathlon, started racing triathlon. There was a bit of a movement of spirituality in that. That sort of peaked a renewed interest in um, you know, things, of, things spiritual. I was out riding my bike one day in the Adelaide Hills, many of you know this, and I met a guy named Ralph. I rode with him and over several cups of coffee because that's what bike riders do, you know, clip-clop around cafes with lycra on and then drink coffee at the end and things like that. And I got to know Ralph and Ralph was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, we talked a little bit about that, but really early on, Ralph just handed me a copy of the Gospel of Mark and said, Simon, you need to read this. I read the Gospel of Mark. I, I felt like Ralph just had me under his thumb. Anything Ralph said I would do. He just had this captivating way about him. But I, I read the Gospel of Mark. I had lots of questions. Uh, he answered a few and then I read the Gospel again. Got to Mark chapter 15 where you've got Jesus, the sinless, perfect man standing alongside Pilate and the other side of him is Barabbas. Barabbas, a, a murderer, an insurrectionist. And it's the day of Passover and the tradition was that one of these prisoners would be released to the people. The crowd below is baying for the blood of Jesus and wants Barabbas released. Uh, they release Barabbas and Jesus goes to the cross, gets nailed for the sins of the world on a tree. I read that and upon reading that, came to know the grace of God. That I was Barabbas not a murderer per se, not a political insurrectionist, but a sinner, deserving of death. 
but Jesus took my place. He died on the tree so that I might go free. I, I, I discovered that. I, I, I discovered that through reading the word of God. I remember going back to Ralph and saying to Ralph, hey Ralph, I've read Mark, uh, Mark 15. I think I'm Barabbas. I think I understood the grace of God. And he said, yeah, you have. Came to know Jesus. Came to know true freedom. Not just freedom from not having to go to church on a Sunday. True freedom. I was brought to faith through the witness of no one really, only through the life-giving word of God. The scriptures truly are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Just as the gospel creates faith and grows it, so it's the same Bible that both makes us wise for salvation and brings us to maturity in Christ. There are specific things that the Bible does in our lives. If I can rearrange the order of Paul's words slightly to show the logical flow, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. And in order to make us completely complete for every good work, all scripture is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So scripture is useful first for, for teaching. Without it, we develop false understandings of, the wor- of God, of the world, ourselves, and our lives. For example, if we haven't learnt from the Bible that this world is passing away, but the things of God are eternal, we'll be much more vulnerable to the law of materialism. If we haven't seen in the word of God that the nature and power of God's grace isn't just what tips us into the kingdom, but shapes our whole lives here and forever, then we're much more likely to snap back when someone insults us or harms us. The Bible teaches, right, that our self Our self-worth and our self-esteem doesn't come from our looks or our talents or our career, but our self-worth and our self-esteem comes from being forgiven and being welcomed by grace, adopted into the family of God. Scripture teaches us what's true and what matters. Scripture teaches us how to align our expectations with reality. Secondly, the Bible is useful for rebuke, reproof or reprimand, depending on your Bible translation. You see, false teaching needs to be rejected and false living needs to be rebuked. Without this, we would remain comfortable in our sin. We live in ways which harm us, hurt others, damage our relationship with God, and we don't care. But the Bible rebukes us, confronting us with the seriousness of our sin making us feel its shame and showing us how it doesn't fit with the new life that we've been called to live in Christ. I don't know, if you've ever seriously engaged with the Bible, you'll know that feeling, right, when you're sitting under the teaching of the Word or you're reading the Bible and you just feel like there's a spotlight shining on your heart, exposing you. I feel it. And of course, the reason why God brings your sin into light is not so that he can mess with you. It's so that he can heal you and and deal with you by his grace and restore you to closer fellowship with him. Thirdly, the Bible tells us, is Paul tells us that the Bible is useful for correction. Given that we do sin, we need to be redirected from wrong paths to right paths. You know, when we break a bone, right, we say that it's no longer true, it's no longer straight. 
The bone's out of whack, it's not lined up anymore. Needs to be corrected, needs to be reset, needs to be realigned so that everyone, everything else around it can kind of work the way it's meant to work. In the same way, right, things go wrong in us, morally and spiritually. And even as we pursue in the power of the Holy Spirit, godliness and Christ-likeness, things break and things become misaligned and we need to be corrected. Um, J.B. Phillips, in his New Testament translation, um, translates verse 15 like this. All scripture is useful for resetting the direction of a person's life. And fourthly, scripture is useful for training in righteousness. Remember that one of the main reasons why we need the Bible is because Christian faith is meant to transform us. And Paul tells us here that through the Bible, we gradually develop greater and greater Christ-like character. It's through the Bible that we learn how to live for God. In all these ways, the Bible is absolutely essential. It is completely foundational in the life of the believer. It's the primary way in which God builds us up in the faith, the primary way in which he guides us through all of life. So as I close, let me ask you this personal question. What is your attitude to the Bible? What is your attitude to the Bible? But, you know, perhaps you're skeptical, perhaps you're undecided. Here's a challenge for you. Earlier this year, actually, um, an Australian theologian, historian, evangelist named John Dixon set out a challenge for us uh, to read at least 100 pages of the Bible in 2021. I think it's a really good challenge. Because if you live in Australia, if you live in the Western world, if you just live in the world in general, this book has shaped much of our world. Like it or not, it's shaped a lot of our world. And I think it would be great to think that you've got your head around at least 100 pages as an adult with your brain switched on with all your brainy, adult, engaged questions. That's what I think you should do. Now sometimes, look, the sentences in the Bible, sometimes they're hard to read. The historical background can sometimes be a little bit complicated. Themes in the Bible can be a little bit jarring. But give it 100 pages, and I'm pretty sure you'll find it captivating, like millions of people around the world find the Bible to be captivating. Um, 100 pages is actually not that much. I think it's about like that much. There you go. It's not much of the Bible. Give it a go. Take up the challenge. But if you're here joining us today and you call yourself a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's a question for you. Don't you want to know God better? Don't you want to be able to kind of wake up tomorrow and say, I know God better today than I did yesterday? Well, the primary way we do that is through the Bible, through reading the Word. Let me just read some verses from Psalm 119. That was the part of the first reading uh, that Naomi gave us right back at the beginning. Let me just read some verses from Psalm 119 as the psalmist reflects on the, the, the word of God. And here's the question. Could you say these things about the Bible? Your word, O Lord, is eternal. Oh, how I love your word. I meditate on it all day long. 
How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I hate double-minded men, but I love your word. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Your statutes are wonderful. I obey them. Your statutes are forever right. Give me understanding that I may live. Wow. Are they the kind of words you could mouth about the Bible? Do you delight in it? Do you devour it? Do you depend on it? Build your life on it? Brothers and sisters, I hope the main implication from today is kind of obvious. The great need of every disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ at every stage of our Christian walk is to get the Bible into our lives at every single opportunity we have and build your faith on the foundation of God's word and it will last. Let me pray. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the greatest and most enduring treasure we could ever have. Father, speak to us through it. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, show us afresh how it displays your glory and makes clear what you've done for us through Jesus. Father, shape us that we would be Men, women and kids, completely complete, equipped for every good work, eager to do all that you ask of us. Father, make us people who not only learn the gospel and love the gospel, but people equipped and empowered to live out the gospel. And Father, help us to be a church at City Light Church North Adelaide who continues to build all that we do on the word of God, on your word. Father, we thank you for our opportunities we have as a church to gather together in many ways around your word on Sundays, Father, in our discipleship groups, one-to-one. -one. Father, help us to be men and women who love the Bible and who build our lives on its words. And we ask this for our joy, for the salvation of our neighbours, and for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church/northadelaide.